Welcome to Hey Kiddo, the podcast where we talk to kids of all ages about social emotional learning and leadership skills. I'm your host, Kate Brown. And as always, I am with Dr. Nicole Lipkin. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Kate. How are you? So good to be here. Yes, it is. It is so good to be here. We've been releasing these podcasts weekly. We've got the quick tips. We've got these expert interviews. And we are thrilled to be joined today by, by, with, some sort of preposition there. Chris is a single parent with a background in construction, sales, and nonprofit management. That's really diverse experiences, which have led to an amazing parenting journey that we're here to talk about today. And then getting into some coaching, uh, helping other single parents navigate this experience because it is, it is different. And a lot of, I know that a lot of, uh, like education or things about parenting tend to assume that all kids have two parents, no fewer, no more. They have exactly two parents. And so it's kind of difficult to navigate. So welcome Chris to Hey Kiddo. We're so glad to have you here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So can you get started by talking a little bit about your parenting journey? How did you get here and what are some of the, the pivotal moments that you and your family have experienced? Yeah, I think when we were a, um, like, quote, um, like a heteronormative family looking from the outside, right? There was a, uh, a mom, a dad, and, and two kids. Um, things were quite different. They were probably very uh, traditional, you know, so to speak. You know, if you, you get in trouble, you, um, you have an immediate consequence. And um, much more like authoritarian style of, of parenting and discipline. So um, we were, um, you know, we would spank or time out or whatever, and as, as, as was appropriate for the age. But um, through my divorce process, I, you know, changed in, in my personal development, who I am as a person, figuring out that journey, um, especially being like a really, really young parent. I had, um, I had my kids before 25. So two kids and, um, going through a divorce around 26, 28 years old. Um, it took a little bit of time to actually finalize all that, but that really led me to a place like, okay, who am I apart from like being a military spouse or who am I apart from being a mom to these two kids? Uh, because the twenties, I think is a time where most people kind of figure that out, but I was doing <laughs> what most people are doing in their like And your thirties and forties and fifties. <laughs> yeah. Right. And later in life. And so <laughs> uh, that, that really has helped me to kind of hone in on like how to parent and, and, um, how to parent successfully being a single parent because now you're doing it you know primarily by yourself and then my situation might be a little bit different than than others so um since their dad is in the military um i have 300 days out of the year 330 and it's more of like a collective chunk so he gets them on school breaks and then a month in the summer and stuff like that so for the most part, um, I'm parenting them like solo or, you know, parallel parenting. Um, and I know that, you know, other people have, you know, unique experiences as well. And so kind of like 
building a, a community of single parents along the way. We've, we've learned from each other and been able to adapt. And that's where my kind of coaching plays in. And so every, every opportunity that I have had to learn um, through my child's therapist and their counseling, and then um, my own personal journey through therapy and counseling, and it's like, oh, I can do it this way. I never knew that before because it wasn't something that was modeled to me in my upbringing, so. So Chris, I have, I have a question for you. What, what are some of the things you learned, you know, to help you parent effectively as a single parent that were not in, that did not apply the same way when, when you were in a single parent? Yeah. Yeah, so um, one of the things I, I requested early on is um, communication with my current company. So the company that I had landed at after um, start going back to college and doing the construction thing and all that, I landed in a, a small tech startup um, where I was doing like sales and um, customer service and all the things because it was a small team. Um, just gaining the confidence to talk to that employer and be like, hey, listen, these are th some things that I might need that maybe another employee may not. Like they have somebody that can pick up their kids from preschool or do this or do that. I don't have that, um, you know, I don't have that community built up around me yet. I'm not capable of that at this present time. And so um, I worked there for a month of what, what we had called onboarding. And then we made a, a collective decision with them that I could work from home after that, which was really, really, really helpful, um, which was a major blessing for me at the time in 2016, where working from home was not as uh, common. So one good thing about COVID is it brought about the need for um, better flexibility, I think, in the work environment to um, make sure that parents, especially single parents, can, can do home well. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it is, it is trickier. <laughs> it is trickier when you have less uh, people involved and less hands and less, you know, emotional. You know, you can't tag team another person when you have had a bad day. Yeah. What are you going to do to try not to bring that into your um, into your evening with your children? And some that's something I'm still working on, and I'm still working on articulating to my kids because they're old enough now. It's like I can say, "Hey, you know, what? mommy had a really stressful day. I am being really short. I understand that I am being really short. You know, I'm going to take a ten minute timeout. Like, please." <laughs> please, you know, honor that time for me because I need that so that I can come back and I can be present with you and things like that. Um, and, and part of that too is kind of building in your day. So like my kids are really, really active in sports, but I can only do sport. They can only choose sports that are happening at the same times. Mm -hmm. So now my kids selection of sports goes down, but that's because I know how much I can handle and how I need to make sure that I'm maintaining like my spiritual, mental, physical, whatever, well-being, emotional well-being, so that I can care for them. So those are some things that we do. You have to say no to certain things. Right, right. How do you guide other parents that come to you for coaching around that? Because it, so it sounds like you've, you've learned boundaries with yeah. your kids. 
which is yeah. hard. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When I think we're taught to, especially as like new moms, to give everything we have to this new being because they need us and they need us for everything, mm-hmm. right? And we kind of carry that into now they are capable of doing something. What can they do? Um, and so I had a really great therapist that was like, hey, you don't have to spend every hour of the day, um, you know, praising or, you know, being around your kids or whatever. What are you doing that's intentional? Because if you're just spending time, but it's not intentional time, it might not fill the tank for them as you think it is. Hmm. Your mm-hmm. thing's not being filled because you think there's an expectation that, you know, society or someone else has placed on you. So that's kind of where I start. Number one is where do you feel like most stressed or obligated in the care of your children? And, and why do you feel that way? Hmm. That's so wise, you know, Chris, it's so interesting. I, li- I like what you're saying with like the, if you're not, you know, when you're not intentionally spending time with your children and you're distracted, that that's actually not as, that's not good time. And it's so true. Like I find myself with my kiddo, just not, not always just being, not being there all the time. And, and, and when I think of it, yeah, it's not good time with Charlie. Like it's not, he's smart enough to pick up on this stuff. Um, so yeah, distracted time is not necessarily quality time, obviously. It's just so simple but so important um yeah. we've heard so, that yeah. from from other guests who have said that too and I, I think that nicole and i were both shocked when when we had a play therapist on and she said yeah. 20 minutes once a week like, what mm-hmm. that's not enough that's not enough time like yes if mm-hmm. it's intentional if it's child-led if they feel like they're being listened to and seen and held in that time that's going to make all the difference and yeah. It's, I think the three of us have such complementary yet unique experiences, you know, in partnered households, in single parent households, in, you know, my kid has three parents. So it's mm-hmm. an interesting way to, to negotiate. And there was, there was something that uh, came up for me in parenting where uh, before I, I, when my kids, dad and I were together, it was very tag team. It was, you have all responsibility, then I'll have all responsibility. And it was just sort of a check-in check-out. Mm-hmm. And that was really good for our mental health because it was, you know, I have no responsibility. It's a totally different thing trying to co-parent. I mean, taking mm-hmm. everybody's boundaries and everybody's needs and wants into consideration. And then it felt like at times that that tag team parenting style was a little bit of single parenting. Like I'm totally mm-hmm. responsible. I can't call you in to help, you know? And, and I think in these transitions, you know, I'm Chris, I'm not sure if this is true for you, but there are parent, there, there are periods of transitions where there's lots of different kinds of parenting happening. Sometimes it is more single parent style. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's co-partnered. Sometimes it's, you know, feeling really connected. And I don't know that we societally do a good enough job of accommodating those transition periods. 
you know, when you were talking about two parent households, it's like, oh, it's going to be two parents all the time through your entire kid's life. Uh, that's not necessarily true. So in what, what if, what have been some big takeaways for you or how do you help other parents um, navigate transitional periods where, where households um, are changing or even as parents are transitioning, you know, whether they're changing careers, going back to school, working with gender issues, relationships, you know, grief. I mean, those are big transitions. So, so how have you handled that? Yeah, that's a, a great question. So I've handled it well and poorly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> right. Um, and I, I remember when it, it has gone poorly and the things that you can pull away or take away from that is like when we were first figuring out what this looks like, um, I was in, uh, I was across the country from the kid's dad. So it's like their transition periods were, were really interesting. So he would come visit and take them to a hotel, which is different. Going to a house where you have like things that you, you have. And so in that transition period, it's like, um, I, I kind of prep them to feel like it's like a vacation because they were so little, they didn't really know anything more than that. So it's like, you're gonna have a vacation with daddy, and, you know, daddy gets to come and take you to a hotel and there's a swimming pool and you're gonna have so much fun. Um, <laughs> and so it was like that for a little bit. And then um, as they got bigger, we, we kind of had to get, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, context in that for them and make sure that it was, um, you know, they were prepared. So there was a short stint where we were close enough to where he had them every other weekend for two years. And so then that was a whole new thing, right? So like, he doesn't come on vacation, you spend, you know, this time in the car and you get to go to dad's house and this type of thing. And so that one was a lot harder. I can say just like emotional regulation and coming back from like this high of like seeing their dad and it's so much fun because um, you know, that they're off of school, uh, you know, he's off of work and, and they just got to like play and, and do all these fun things. Coming back and getting back into their routine of, uh, you know, school and dinner and everything being a lot more structured um, was, was really difficult. And it was difficult to learn like how to be present and available for them. Um, I'm fortunate enough to had been at my job. So same job for about three years. And I did the same thing. I just asked them, I said, Hey, every other weekend means every other Monday morning, I need to be off mm. every other Monday. That's, that's one day per month. It's a half, you know, half of day, every other, like it shouldn't mess up in anything that I'm doing. And, you know, I just wanted to, you know, make you, make you aware of it and see if that was something that we could, you know, come to agreement on that worked. And so they were at a place I could let them sleep in. I could let them go back to school later that day. Um, it's not going to affect their, you know, school life or homework or anything. Uh, and, and for me, it helped me have a time where I was not rushing through and trying to do something because I have to get them to school and I have to get to work and I have to do these things. 
Um, and so I think a lot of the things that I try to coach people with is obligations are something that we, uh, we appear as fixed. <clears throat> it, uh, <clears throat> sorry. It appears to be like a fixed item, but it doesn't have to be. What, what would it look like if it wasn't a fixed thing? Like, what would this obligation look like if it were different? Or modified, or you know, um, you know, can that be a thing? Can we, you know, call in our community to help us out? You know, do you have someone that could take them to school and another day a week or something? So, kind of being creative in that, um, in the process of of caring for yourself and caring for your kids. How do you how do you recommend? Um... How do, you, what, how do you recommend or how do you coach parents in talking to workplaces? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously every situation is different, but how do you recommend kind of setting those boundaries at work? Yeah. Yeah, that is really important. Um, first, I would always ask like how um, much trust is built, but like how do you feel just as an employee where you work? Um, and then do you have an advocate? Because it is a delicate thing, right? And some organizations um, more so than others. And so I, those are the, the first two questions kind of like, how do you feel if you've ever like asked for a raise or, you know, asked for a promotion or whatever. So outside of like family life and how did that go and who did you speak to and, and those types of things. And then, um, if the person doesn't have an advocate, that's my strongest, suggestion is there's going to be somebody within your company, whether it's a company of 25 people or a company of 600 or whatever, um, where they're going to be on your side and they can go with you into a conversation that you might not have um, maybe the, the confidence or the, um, you know, the ability to have on your own. I love that. And it can be applied to family situations too, like whether or not you need this. Like if you know the kids are coming back after the weekend, they're going to have a hard time transitioning. Like maybe you call a friend over to, mm-hmm. you know, be there with you to, to navigate that or as they're leaving and you need someone because the kids are gone for the weekend or mm-hmm. something like that. I also love the way that, you know, like it had not occurred to me that you could just keep your kids out of school for the half day, right? Of course you can, you know, you you can make those choices. And, and I think there's an impulse to keep everything as the same as it could be, right? Like if there's a transition going on at home, well, maybe if we ignore the transition in, in, for the sake of stability, um, those logistic things of like bedtime and going to school. And yes, it's important to have that structure, but if life is looking different, if it's going to be different, then it's going to be different. And mm-hmm. if, if right. we're transparent about that, then I'm sure it's easier on everyone in the long run to just like, yep, things are changing. I don't know what they're going to look like, but here's where we're at now. Yep. Yeah. Kate, I think that's so important because I, I, you know, it's interesting. I think in our effort to protect children, I think we do a disservice by not letting them learn not letting them learn how to cope with transition. Transition in life is just really hard, whatever it might be. And kids need to learn it. And kids need to learn to be comfortable with ambiguity. Like when you think about adult skills, 
and you think about what's important as an adult, it's being able to deal with change. It's being able to deal with ambiguity. It's not losing your mind over, over things not being kind of like the way we expected them to the we or the way we always thought they would be. It's learning how to deal with that. So I think one of the best things we can do for our kids is like you just said, it's like, I don't know, things are changing. It is up in the air and there's hard parts about it. There's great parts about it. And there's, I have no idea parts about it. So let's keep talking about it. And it's okay to feel all these ways. I think it's just so important to let kids discover transition. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of the, the the big questions I had for Chris, and I'm gonna go off screen for a second and get my laptop charger that I forgot to charge. <laughs> um, that so I don't have half an audio that's muffled while I try and do this. <laughs> okay, and what, I'm learning. Since I'm, we're editing this part out, I keep I keep on pressing mute because there's noise back here. There's some construction noise. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah. So one of my big questions for Chris was around how I think I think it relates to this transition period or things being a little bit different. You know, kids grow up with the idea that families look a certain way or mm-hmm. there's their their lives are going to be a certain way or this is what what it is and we were drawing some parallels between queer families and single parent families in that you're living in a way that goes against the should of what mm-hmm. what family life is and has that come up um in your family or with your kids or how how do you navigate the they're living through this kind of counterculture identity yeah um it's kind of funny so my my son just last year realized I was gay like the label Mm. he's like what that's what that means I did not even know that because some kid at school called them gay because they painted their nails and they went to school and we live in a very rural area of Oklahoma and it, you know, it can, it's pretty, it's a pretty safe space as far as like my, I'm not really worried about my son being like harmed physically, but um, emotionally it's, it can be tricky. And so navigating those conversations, we have conversations often and, you know, I tell them it's like, most people are taught that this is what a girl looks like and this is what a boy looks like and then um, a boy that looks like this and a girl that looks like this they have a family and their family looks like this so that's where every you know most of the people that you're interacting with they think life is supposed to be like this and we you know you can draw a little box even that's because that's kind of how it is right so we're outside of this box because our family looks like this you have a, a, a single parent who doesn't look like a girl, who identifies as non-binary, who they, and then you have a dad that's very traditional, masculine, presenting, um, you know, cisgendered, whatever, like all the, the normal box things. And then he's also in a relationship with a girl. So they're, when they go to their dads, they look like, that box, that family. When they come home, they don't. 
And so navigating that, I think, is, is interesting for my kids because they experience kind of like two worlds almost because we don't co-interact with each other because I'm in Oklahoma and they're in North Carolina. Um, but it, it allows them to have a more open mind when they meet someone who's being raised by their grandparents or, you know, who has a mom and a boyfriend or whatever it is. They're like, oh, yeah, families do look differently. And that's okay because, you know, you can look around and see these are how many people that love and care for, you know, these kiddos. And so they may not have like the traditional you know, box family, but there are different ways to look at it. My kids also have um, buddies is what I call it. It's kind of um, interesting. So there have been friends that have very similar like personalities and interests and, and things. And so they've always been like buddies for my kids. So um, my son is very neurodiverse. So kind of on the spectrum somewhere. I have a friend, same, and she's been able to like figure out how to live with that and cope with that. And so she hangs out with him sometimes and they do things together and they call each other their spirit animals and they have a great time. She's able to connect with him in a way that I'm not. And like, same with my daughter. So I think it's always important to just maybe just keep an open mind and have a conversation that things look differently. And, um, you know, the main thing is, are you safe? Do you feel loved? Do you feel accepted in the home that you have and, and how does that home environment whoever's leading the charge there have their needs met their safety needs met and their you know emotional needs and whatever that's great my son just told me yesterday he his favorite color is pink and he wears mm -hmm. pink all the time and he has bright magenta hair he asked us to dye it and he told us that he wants a mask that says girls are cool, but I'm not one. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's very strongly identifies as a boy. He, he is a boy. There's no, yeah. <laughs> he just loves the color pink. And he said that, um, someone at school, he said he'd been getting bullied a little bit about looking like a girl and it happens wherever we go. Everyone assumes that he's a girl. And, uh, apparently in his, in this group of kids, somebody was teasing him about being, looking like a girl. And one of the girls spoke up and said boys can like pink and yeah. it just it made me feel so good to know that even though you know he's getting some negative reactions to that that there are kids who I mean these are eight-year-olds right that they're willing to stand up and say no it's fine to be different that there's that's no big deal um, and I'm sure that because of you know we've been talking about difference you know since he was a baby I remember one of the things he told me when he was about four, we were talking about someone at a target and he was like, can we stop talking about bodies now? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. So this has just been part of his world, but going into environments where, and we're in a sort of conservative part of the Midwest. So, you know, it's, it's probably a similar, uh, similar thing, but it, it's, it's not always, you know, every, every place can have uh, some bias and some mean people <laughs> yeah you know what's interesting I've, I've been doing some research on this and also talking to parents um a lot recently and there is what i've been learning is um that kids 
that are cis female or cis male and heterosexual in, I don't know what areas, but are starting to feel anxious that they're heterosexual and cis male or female and not something else. So what's very interesting, I thought hearing this and learning about this and that, that, you know, um, it, it is how, and this is obviously not everywhere, how the norm is shifting a little bit and how anxiety can be on or experiences or teasing or everything can be on all sides. Um, and it's very, in, it, it, it was just a very interesting thing that I've been learning that I, I never thought about um, mm-hmm. that I thought was, I was surprised to hear that. What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if I have any thoughts on it. And Kate, you look like an yeah. angel right now. Like, uh, the- Do I? Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's like very ethereal. It's yeah. the- very ethereal. Oh, my right gosh. Now. Like um, what happens when queer becomes the norm? Yeah. Oh, what happens when queer becomes the norm and non-queer folks are starting to feel anxious that they're not queer? Yeah. Well, there's room for everybody in the uh, alphabet mafia. Come on over. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that is interesting. Oh, these anxiety. Well, I think it speaks a lot to the anxieties that we have about being normal, right? So if the the perceived normal is abnormality, okay. But well, let's talk about what that means and what it means to conform and what it means to to feel different in whatever way that manifests. I think there are different and bigger issues around. Um, Cause to me, it's starting to sound like the whole reverse racism thing. Like that's, that's not a thing. Like even, even if you have, have anxieties about not being weird enough to be queer, um, you know, you're still not being discriminated against. You can, you have that privilege when you're, and, and for kids, I know it's different when we're, we're talking about kids here, but um, you know, there's the, they can still, no matter how anxious you feel about being straight, you can still see lots of examples of people like you on TV. Um, And I think that's where we get into a little dicey territory around how do we navigate kids' anxieties about difference while also acknowledging that there are still consequences for uh, any kind of of marginalized or disenfranchised group of people that we can't ignore just because we're feeling a little, a little anxious about it. Totally. Totally. But it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting thing. What it tells me is that we need to be more, do more talking about it. Sure. Like across the board, across the board. I think we need to talk about the anxiety, uh, you know, kids might feel if they're not queer. I I, I think we should be talking about everything. Um, Well, and even in the single parent, world you know there's uh there is a little bit of grass is greener to that too i've heard kids talk about like oh why do i have to be in this house when my friend gets to go to two houses and they get to visit their dad right (laughs) like well yeah that is that is different um but i i've always felt that it's so important to talk everybody adults kids teens everybody to talk about difference very explicitly like let's talk about what it's like to 
live in all kinds of ways, not just for empathy building, but to maybe neutralize some of what you're talking about, Nicole, where it's an us versus them or normal versus abnormal. It's like, no, we all have lots of different kinds of experiences and identities that should be treated, I don't want to say equally, but with, with equity. So, you know, on the forms I fill out for school, it's got the primary parent, secondary parent, all of that. Well, I went to go find a list. I had to put the emergency contact in there. There was no place for partner. There was only Mm -hmm. friend or significant other. I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. very weird (laughs) to me. So the way, the way we even set up different forms or systems that, and we talk about this at Hey Kiddo all the time, like trying to account for lots of different kinds of family experiences without prioritizing one or the other. And I think that's, it's the story we're telling ourselves and each other interpersonally, but we can start doing that in bigger and more institutional ways. And I, I personally am an advocate for that in schools. If I see a form that is, that is excluding um, certain, and not just, not just gender, but you know, race, family configuration, disability, financial circumstance, anything that I can perceive as an an inequity, I bring that up to the people in charge because to see that, to see that inclusion um, builds belonging. And I think that's really at the core of what we're talking about here is that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. So, so mindful of time. Want to understand from you, Chris? What would be what would be your? Because I think I think you're coming from many different places, you know, as an expert from many different places, and and the, and the single parenthood thing is something we don't talk about a lot, and it's such a, a lot of admiration for single parents, a lot, and you know what you were saying in the beginning of the conversation about like not being able to tag team. You know, if you're having a bad day, you still have to figure out how to do it and be on. And sometimes I think about, um, you know, I have, a, I have a couple of friends who are single parents. And sometimes I think about like, I don't, I, I how, just wow, just wow. Um, so I think like, you know, I, I would ask top some, some takeaways, both on the single parenthood thing, but also what you coach parents toward. In, in helping them. I, you know, I loved your conversation on boundaries. I think that's so difficult to do and so important, especially sending them with kids. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Cause I think that's one, when, when we think of boundaries, we think of like other people outside of our house, but um, like I have bedroom boundaries. My kids all have bedroom boundaries. I don't go into their bedroom without asking them first. And they don't go into my bedroom without asking me first. So one thing I, I, I try to like say is, is it's just like simplify everything. Like they, they have to have a place where they feel like they're safe and that's theirs. So that's easy to put it as a bedroom. Now, if you share, great, that's fine too. Let's create a space, something. Um, maybe there's like a closet, even though that sounds funny, like a timeout closet where someone can go and it like, you can set it up really cool. Like it has like, you know, like a big walk-in closet or something like that. 
there's probably some creative resource, but um, that would be one thing that I learned that was really beneficial and a game changer for me in um, taking care of me so that I can take care of them was setting those boundaries with them um, and then decluttering everything. So like um, our world is like, you know, all about like get this and stuff and do this and that. Well, that actually brings a lot of stress and adds a lot of things that you don't need. And so like declutter your kids' rooms. My, in my kids' room is a desk, a bed, a chair, and a bookcase. And they both have those things. And then they have like a select amount of like toys or whatever it is that the time, like, you know, age. My daughter is not into toys and hardly was, but has art, like her art supplies or drawing or whatever. And just make it really, really simple, simplify um, all of the spaces, because then when you're having a stressful day, you're not looking around, seeing all the clutter or all the things that are piled up or whatever is going to help. Like kind of like invite you into the space um, and like curate your art, it seems. You could go to the used store and do it, you know, go to a bunch of used stores one day and just find art that has like beautiful words or scenery or colors that mean something to you because that's important too. So like when you are in your element, in your home, um, you're reminded to like center yourself um, and you have some sort of anchor there. So I love that. Hannah Gadsby talks about external scaffolding. I, I took that phrase from them, uh, which basically means setting up your environment for success. So that sounds like exactly what you're talking about. And so much of single parenting is about the logistics and the environment and the physical things that we have in the tasks that are done every day. And then there's the more soft skill stuff about emotional regulation and boundaries and interpersonal communications. And you you know, in, as in all things, you have to do both. But I think to your point earlier about keeping keeping it simple and also understanding that obligations aren't fixed in all of these areas, right? I think that is really important. I want to, before we wrap up, I just want to talk to you about your screaming closet. Tell us oh, what yeah. the screaming <laughs> yes, closet is. Geez. I yeah. want that. <laughs> yeah, we, we, um, we probably started doing that maybe like two and a half years ago, maybe like right before the pandemic, which was really nice. Um, and it has a label on it. It says screaming, you know, screaming closet one person at a time <laughs> together and hurt each other's ears or whatever. Um, but it's all about like, sometimes you are told that you're allowed to have all these feelings and stuff, but what do you do with them? Even as adults, like, I feel really angry. Like, I feel like I want to punch someone. I cannot. But, like, what do we do with that? How, how you know, like, do you go for a run? Do you do whatever? But, like, how do we help our children to kind of navigate, like, putting a name to a feeling and then being able to do something about it? And so um, I think screaming is, like, super cathartic. <laughs> so sometimes they just go in there and scream and... Yeah, their kids love, love it too. So. <laughs> it's I, I wanted to make sure we talked about it because I thought I was some sort of genius because we have a similar thing at our house. It's called the rage room. Yes. And it's a, 
it's a place in the, and, and you know those places you can go to like smash things that's kind of what it's based on it's just a place in the basement where nerf guns can be fired stuffed animals can be wrestled with that we have cardboard down there in case you want to rip cardboard or i mean anything goes in the rage room <laughs> and, and it's a part of the house that you know if, if walls get busted you know i know where the drywall spackle is like it, it's okay but i yeah. if that idea can help anyone else which again it's like oh your home is supposed to be your safe sanctuary and your yeah it can be and part of that sanctuary can just be like screaming or beating up on some pillows you know that's Mm -hmm. that is also part of the sanctuary even if it's chaotic or loud yep absolutely love it i love it that's amazing (laughs) thank you so much chris for joining us today this has been a great episode um, philosophically and with actionable tips. So yeah. you too can get your own. It is, just, it is great. Those boundary things. That's, that's everything. And, and yeah, this was amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Hey Kiddo. If you like what you hear, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more about Hey Kiddo Talk and Huddle at our website, hey-kiddo.com. Have a question for our experts? Email us at hello at hey-kiddo.com.